0: Hi, I'm Andrew J. Boyle. Welcome to North by Norway. No podcast last week. When I was least expecting it, I was attacked by that many-headed monster, the Beast from the East, The Covid Troll And the one comfort was While recovering in bed I could watch the new Christmas blockbuster on Netflix An action-packed fantasy thriller That will be seen in 170 countries With the one word title Troll The strapline reads Deep in the Dovra Mountain Something gigantic wakes up after a thousand years in captivity. The creature destroys everything in its path and quickly approaches Oslo. I've been looking forward to the movie for months. For one thing, the screenwriter of Troll, Espen Aukant, lives just a few streets up from me here in Fredrikstad But most of all because the ancient myths of Norway, whether it is the old Norse gods in Valhalla, or the creatures of superstition that inhabit the deep forests, well, I find them just fascinating. Not least because they still seem so near the surface in modern-day Norway. The myths of that ancient monster, the Troll, have retained some of their power into our own day. Now, trolls are supposed to hate the light, and can be turned to stone by sunlight. So how did they survive the piercing of every dark nook and cranny of our society by electric light? Or metaphorically, how did they survive the victory of reason and enlightenment over superstition and base fear well i'd like to mention five artistic geniuses who just as the steam and electricity of modernity was replacing the old traditions and old ways who took hold of the amorphous mass of folk tales among country people and turned it into well cultural heritage or even pure entertainment. First these words, written by the journalist and essayist Odd Hörlos, exactly 60 years ago. In an overpopulated Europe, Old Norway remains to this day an unspoiled kingdom of nature, In the depths of her endless forests, stillness reigns, as it has for thousands of years. In there, the modern world has no sway. Face to face with the profound rhythm of nature, the modern human, who likes to measure his fragmented existence in minutes and hours, seems somehow rather helpless. This is a place where time has no power. In there, the trolls live. The troll is at home in Norway, the nature fawn of the Norwegian woods. But don't confuse him with some Greek fawn, dancing on cloven hooves across bare sun-scorched earth. <laughs> no, no, he is heavy and gloomy, And overgrown. He is the wood and the mountain, on the move. Everyone who has seen a troll, and there must be many who have, Uh, how else could you explain the secure place of the troll in popular imagination? Everyone agrees about one thing he is ancient. He is a creature born of the very timelessness of the forest. Mossy like the trees, or grey like the mountain he calls his home. When one troll calls to another, he may wait centuries for an answering call. You can hear him in the storm, glimpse him in the mist, and when meltwater roars down the slopes in spring, you can hear him thrashing a path through the wood. Or, in drifts of snow on mountain ridges, you can see the mark of his foot. Odd Hurlos wrote these marvellous words in a book called The Troll in Norway, but the volume has a crucial subtitle, The Troll in Norway, as seen by Theodor Kittelsen, because Although the first collections of Eventyr, that is, folktales, had begun appearing in the 1840s, it is only when we get to the 1880s that the troll suddenly bulldozes his way out of the gloom and into popular consciousness as a fully formed figure. So concrete and physical that absolutely every Norwegian is convinced of one thing, Yes, that's exactly how trolls must have looked for thousands of years. Because in the early 1880s, a young artist by the name of Theodor Kittelsen was given the job of illustrating a new edition of Norwegian fairy tales. And ever since, we have known what trolls look like. If you look through some of his wonderful drawings, and I've posted a few of them on my web page, you will find the sea troll, a monster with the gaping mouth of a shark. (music) The giant forest troll, with his tree-clad head. Or is it only a hill? Is the twilight playing tricks with our eyes? The troll who wonders how old he is. Now this is an ancient creature, sitting bent double on his boulder, also with trees growing from his head. There are trolls of many heads, often with three heads, sometimes with four. And then there's the house troll, a toothless hag, who stares in through the windows or whistles around the doors with an ill wind. Just how dominant Kittleson's image of the troll has become is reinforced by that Netflix movie, Troll. If you've seen it, or even just the trailer, you'll know the scene where an angry troll causes havoc on the main thoroughfare running through Oslo city centre, the wide boulevard called karl johans Karl-Johans-Street. It runs in a straight line from the central station up to the royal palace. Now, letting loose a monster of dark forests in a modern downtown setting might seem a peculiarly cinematic device, with roots dating back to King Kong escaping his captors in the New York of 1933, and to Godzilla devastating Tokyo in 1954. In fact... Its roots go a good deal deeper. The father of the Netflix troll is to be found not in Hollywood, but in a drawing made by Theodore Kittelsen in 1892, and its title, A Troll on Carl Johann Street. Kittelsen's troll towers over the nearby buildings but he actually seems quite docile, clearly attracted by the sound of martial music. He's trying to fall into step behind the military band of the palace guard. He has ragged clothes, a rough lunch box, torn mittens, and the absent-minded stare of a distracted yokel. Nevertheless, thirty metres of hefty troll cause panic. Everyone takes to their heels. Horses take fright. Carriages are overturned. Only one man seems unaffected. In the lower corner of the drawing, playwright Henrik Ibsen, in top hat and tails, won't let anything disturb his customary midday stroll. He seems to be asking a panicked passerby. Trolls, did you say? Oh, don't try and tell me anything about trolls. I know all about them. We'll come back to Henry Gibson in a little while. As I say, you can see the drawing of the Troll on Carl Johan on my webpage for this episode. AndrewJBoyle.com Now, I said there were five artistic geniuses who secured for the troll of folk superstition its place in modern culture. Kittleson is one of them. But in fact, he was late to the party. There were four men, let's call them troll hunters of the mid-19th century, who went on their troll safaris long before Kittleson did. And they hunted in pairs. The pair who came first... Well, they are often known simply as Asbjørnsen and Moe. Their full names were Peter Christen Asbjørnsen and Jørgen Moe. They collected eventyr or folktales in the regions of forests and lakes around Oslo and published them in a series of books from the early 1840s to the late 1870s. It's thanks to their efforts that the legends and superstitions of a thousand years of Norwegian country life have not only been kept alive, but also spread to the whole world. The story of the Three Billy Goats Gruff are as much a feature of Japanese or Kenyan storytelling as Norwegian. The folk tales are soaked in myth and magical happenings. We meet the giant trolls of the mountains and the talking animals of the isolated farms. There is an east wind in human form and a princess who knows how to make her suitors jump. The other pair of troll hunters, to complete our five artistic geniuses, consists of Henry Ibsen and Edvard Grieg. They were brought together by the legend of an actual hunter. Pierre Hogo, known for extraordinary exploits among the peaks and valleys of the Gudbrandstal. Ibsen renames him Pierre Gint. He wrote his Rabelaisian epic poem Pier Gint in 1867. In 1876 it was staged, now with incidental music composed for the occasion by Edvard Grieg. Here is a boastful good-for-nothing. He falls for the daughter of the Troll King, who lives deep in the Dovre Mountains. Here, the Troll King weighs up the naive outsider. Over recent years, our stock's taken a dive. It's... Touch and go between bust or survive, and refusing support from the public seems thoughtless. Besides that, this lad here's pretty near faultless, and sturdy enough as well by my score. It's true he's got only one head for his ration, but even my daughter can't manage more. Three-headed trolls are right out of fashion, two-headed even are now quite rare. "'and the heads themselves are no more than fair. "'So it's my daughter you're wanting, I guess. "'Your daughter plus kingdom as dowry, yes? "'You'll get the half while I'm still going strong, "'and the other half when I've passed along. Oh, "'That suits me nicely. "'No doubt, lad, but you have certain promises you must be giving. "'Break one of them and the deal falls through, "'and you won't be making your exit still living.' For a start you must pledge that you'll never ponder what lies beyond the frontiers of the ronde, Shun day, rash deeds, any light exposed spot. For the title of king, why, that isn't a lot. Pear can't keep his promises, and in the play's most famous scene he is chased down from the mountain by a horde of small trolls. When we think of a troll today, we think of a creature as told in a story written down by Asbjørnson and Moe, or drawn as a caricature by Theodore Kittleson. Even the troll that is entertaining millions on Netflix owes much to Henry Gibson, for the Netflix troll is also a king and is discovered deep in the Dovre mountains. However, the work of these five troll hunters serves to underline the distance between the old ways and the modern. They have tamed the troll. In a concrete sense, just to depict the troll is to try and steal from him his real power, that power which lies in the fact that he lives in the recesses of our psyche, where he has no clear form. As for the anthropology instinct of the folk tale collector, Well, in the very act of their being recorded for posterity, the folk tales lose their contact with the ancient world, where the transmission of culture was by word of mouth, each story always shapeshifting, evolving, morphing into richer versions. So let's take a step further back than these modern men and look for a moment at the place of the troll in Norway's folk culture. The troll is ancient. A fearsome three-headed troll is mentioned in one of the earliest poetic texts to survive, the Edda, from about 1220. And the Norse mythology of the Vikings is full of Jötnar, supernatural troll-like beings that keep to their wildernesses, In Norwegian folk-culture, the troll was a part of nature one learned to live with. There was so much in the natural world one struggled to understand, from geological features to the northern lights or the thunder, and creatures of the underworld were as good an explanation as any. This closeness to the magical beings of wild places is far from vanished in some western countries. Even today there are parts of Ireland in which the fairies are still feared. And in a poll in Iceland earlier this year, people were asked whether they believed in elves. How many said no? Only 57 (laughs) percent. Trollöja, Trollfjorn, Trollpollen, Trolljölet, Trollholmen, Trollbreen, Trollvik. There are several thousand places in Norway that carry the name Troll. Many because of some ancient legend or folktale that may now be lost. Trollvas, Trollshön, Trollbot, Trollhei, Trollbukt. Canyons and rockfalls and groups of huge boulders that no human could have moved. People suspected all these sorts of inexplicable formations in the mountains as being the work of superhuman arms, per Trollhamar, Trollforkastningen, Trollmür, Trollfoss, Trollklova, Trollvotny, along with over 300 places called Trolldal, that's Troll Valley. One category of place-name goes under the heading of Trollcast, or Troll-throw. It is, we enlightened modernists believe, a mere coincidence that a valley-bottom attracts both church-builders and loose boulders from the surrounding cliffs, but to people of the past the conjunction seemed more of a meeting between the forces of good and evil. To several churches in Norway are attached legends that huge boulders seen near the sacred building are the work of trolls. Here is one from the Valdris village of Bang about a hulder, that's a female troll. When the first mass after the Reformation was to be celebrated, The priest noticed that his congregation was restless, and he saw them, one by one, stealing away out of the church. Finally the building was empty, and he was alone. When he came out to see what was causing the disturbance, there was a giant Huldr, who stood down by Langeberg, and blew a beautiful tune on a ram's horn. The priest sent a shower of magic incantations towards her, and the Hulder became so angry that she threw three great boulders at the church. One landed at Ellenhaug Field. It's been broken up now, but it was as big as a house. The second lies just below the church, and the third out on the field at Ødegård. Some of the most tragic tales in Norwegian folklore reflect another expression of the conflict between the old superstitions and the civilising power of the Christian religion. It was thought that the only way to turn wild trolls from their wicked ways was through the chiming of church bells. This superstition provides the key moment to several tales collected by Asbjørnsen from villages on the outskirts of the Jotunheim mountains. In each case, young village girls were stolen away from their homes, captured by trolls and taken into their lair in the mountains. In one legend, young Rundborg is stolen away on her wedding day. So the priest was summoned. He said they should fetch the church bells from Voggo church, carry them up into Jundalen valley and ring them for three days. Well, they carried them from Voggo across Jetta mountain and up onto a large rock in Jundalsbrotom, which ever since has been called Bell Rock. They rang the bells for three days. But the bride had vanished and remained vanished. A similar tragic story lies behind the song I've used as the theme tune for the podcast. You remember the melody. It's an ancient folk song from Valdres called I Ula Dalom, I Ula Shin." The only lines of the song that survive are these. In Ula Valley, in Ula Tarn, poor Eli lost her only bairn. They dredged the valley, they chimed in the lake, but Eli's son no more crying did make. Here is the legend, accompanied by a version of the song by Grieg, in which you can hear both the folk song and the peal of the bells. High up in Österschliedr, in a small valley between steep mountainsides, there is a tarn called Ula Lake, and by this water stands a summer farm Called Ula Setir. One summer a wife worked the farm. She was called Eli and had with her her small son. One day the boy drowned in Ula Lake, with no one being able to find him anywhere. They searched for him in every hole and crevice, but all to no avail. Then they believed that he was taken into the mountains by the trolls, so the bells of the village church were brought up to Ola Seter, and they were rung and rung, until they sang on their own. I started the podcast by reading this from a book by Odd Herlos. In an overpopulated Europe, old Norway remains to this day an unspoilt kingdom of nature. Well, sixty years have passed since those words were written. Is there still unspoilt wilderness in which the ancient race of trolls can survive? Despite the fact that Norway is a thinly populated country, the answer to that question is a dispiriting... No, there's pretty much no genuinely untouched wilderness left. The Norwegian Directorate for Nature Management has a technical definition of wilderness. An area that is at a distance of five kilometres or more, as the crow flies from significant human intervention, and by that definition, only half of one percent of the landmass of Norway today can still be called untouched pristine wilderness. But perhaps I'm falling into the same trap as did Kittleson and Ibsen to imagine that the troll ever could be depicted, ever was, a threatened subspecies dependent on actual habitat. For the true habitat of the troll was always the dark places of the mind and soul, the wilderness of the psyche, the nightmare of the abyss. The trolls have never disappeared. They have perhaps taken on many new and unexpected forms, as ghostly figures at Victorian seances as Jurassic Park dinosaurs, as reds under the bed, or any number of space monsters or little green men come to beam us away in the night. But still, whenever we tremble on a dark path, when something stirs in the gloom of the forest, when the vastness of ocean or mountain wilderness appalls us, Whenever our insecurity sets our primal instincts at odds with our overhyped ration, the troll will be just behind us, just out of sight. And perhaps, like Peer Gynt, we will take to our heels and run, run for our lives, straight towards the abyss. Next time, a choir master's Christmas. But for now, toos and tuck for that to hurt to paw. Thanks for listening, and if you like the cool north, well, tell all your cool friends.